Welcome to the CNI 2022 podcast. These interviews were recorded at the Coalition for Networked Information Spring 2022 meeting. On this episode, we feature Frank Verthwein, director of the San Diego Supercomputer Center at the University of California, San Diego. In our conversation, we talk about the open science grid, the hardware and software investment at the SDSC, and more. I started our discussion by asking about the current goals and strategies for the SDSC in 2022 and beyond. The fundamental objective of the San Diego Supercomputer is to translate innovation into practice. Innovation may come from anywhere in industry or academia or foundations where and have to do with anything out of the broad area of hardware, software, systems, um, data science, algorithms, the whole stack in a way. Mm -hmm. And uh, practice can literally be any domain. And in particular, currently, we're very excited about societal impact, the entire direction of convergence research, where we take societal challenges like, for example, wildfire in the Western United States mm -hmm. and develop and apply modern technologies to that problem, develop systems, platforms, research programs to aid both the uh, people on the ground who fight the fires as well as planning capacity, prescribed burns, and that sort of thing. Another example in that vein is working with the school district on, co on a COVID-19 app in order to aid decision-making by parents, by teachers, by principals on the ever-evolving COVID pandemic. Those kinds of things are things that we're very excited about among the many things that we do. Could you give us a sense of the SDSC's uh, hardware and software investment strategies? Now, that's an interesting question, the investment strategy. I think the short answer is opportunistic. There is in, we have, in a way, three times of avenues to invest in hardware. One is bidding on solicitations, winning awards. The next one is to provide value to pool resources of the university. What that means is the standard, the, a classic condo model where PIs at the university can buy their own hardware. We help them choose what it is. We help them when we then operate it for them. We offer services, services that go from system administration all the way through the stack to higher level uh, um, uh, issues of porting software to new architectures of um, working with PIs on, on uh, modern data science issues, mm -hmm. making in trainings in, uh, to uh, the groups available, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then the third leg of the hardware investment is all about being relevant and useful to both local as well as national industry, as well as foundations, nonprofits, the entire public private sector, being able to provide value to that and making hardware investments backed up by funding from those entities. Now, when now this is a very naive outside the industry question. When we talk about hardware, what kind of hardware are we talking about? 
Again, a very good question. Well, there's the traditional workhorses for high-performance computing, which basically is x86 uh, CPUs from Intel or, or AMD with a few GPUs thrown in. But that landscape is very rapidly changing. In fact, one of the biggest challenges to the field at large, in my mind, and the biggest opportunities is that every single dumb device of age now is programmable, exists in a high-end version that includes some kind of programmable device into it. Think of the network interface cards, NICs. They now come with FPGAs on them, with GPUs on them, with, uh, with CPUs on them. Think um, storage. You can now buy an NVMe that has built-in FPGA, making the NVMe drive, the drive itself, programmable. Think of switches. Switches now are programmable, have individual ports that are programmable. All of these, each and every one of these new categories of, de of programmable devices come with their own programming paradigm. You have computational storage, you have data flow programming, and all of these kinds of things need to be translated into actual systems that do something useful for either science or societal impact. And that, where exactly that goes, is a very active, very dynamic, very heterogeneous landscape. So I see that more and more hardware investments at SDC are not just the traditional clusters that are sort of confined to the data center and are used by thousands or even hundreds of thousands of users, but also these very esoteric, one-of-a-kind type of hardwares that are, exist in niches, do certain things very, very well. Example, we have a piece of hardware, which is a Dragon and, uh, a system from Illumina that accelerates um, a gene assembly. We use that for all our COVID pipelines for the university. So the university runs its own COVID infrastructure, wastewater, testing for students and faculty, the whole nine yards through specialized hardware at STSC in order to achieve its goals to allow returning to learn to happen. With all these additions to devices, programmable devices, does that add a level of complexity that creates um, backup or any sort of problems because it's much more complex? Totally. Okay. Um, we're looking at a massive explosion of complexity. Is that good news or is it bad news? <laughs> it's bad news. Okay. I mean, on some level, it's bad news, but it's also an opportunity. The way that I look at it is that the fact that Moore's Law is kind of slowing down for the traditional CPU hardware, we've benefited from decades of scaling, of hardware getting cheaper, computing getting cheaper because CPUs got cheaper and faster and, and so forth. And that sort of has slowed down a little bit it's rescued by GPUs. GPUs were sort of the first diversification of our head, making things more heterogeneous. After the GPUs come the DPUs, the TPUs, the whatever PUs that will come. And all of this ultimately is driven. If we were still in a position that we were 15 years ago, when things just got so fast, so much cheaper, 
then we wouldn't need all of this heterogeneity. But given that the fundamentals have, uh, we are at a, 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 a level of miniaturization that progress there is no longer made as fast. So now you have to be making that progress elsewhere. And that includes heterogeneous architectures, that includes AI architectures dedicated for machine learning. We have a new, brand new machine that is entirely, the hardware architecture is entirely optimized for machine learning. Wow. And so those kinds of, I'm seeing a future where large scale computing will happen more and more on a heterogeneous set of hardware where some things get done on a special thing here, then some things get done on the workhorse, which is standard that everybody uses, and then some things get done over there on this little special thing, mm -hmm. and assembling the workflows and these platforms that make all of this, again, easy to use is a huge challenge. Yeah. And it's a challenge that is, in a way, a good thing for places like SDSC, because it makes us have enormous added value. It's a bad thing for the scientists who have to deal with all of that complexity and need to employ us in a way to make that complexity go away, be hidden behind easy-to-use interfaces. Right. You kind of covered a little bit of this, but what are some of the biggest challenges in your organization in 2022? There's two types of challenges. One that is always the case. Sustainability is always a challenge. Mm -hmm. Figuring out if you are a soft money organization like us, um, SDSC has 269 employees right now and uh, a revenue of about 50-some million dollars a year. Now, sustaining that is a constant hustling for new awards, service agreements, customers, the whole jing-bang. We're not a regular department which 90% of it sustains itself just by teaching and the university uh, paying faculty for nine months of the salary. SC is a very different kind of beast. So for us, sustainability is always a challenge, will always be a challenge. That is always the number one challenge. Now, acknowledging that, the big technical challenge is the one that I mentioned earlier, the diversification of computing, building infrastructures, that can present, can make use of these diverse devices, heterogeneous ways of computing in a way that it is easy to use for the end user scientist or researcher, that is the big challenge. Mm -hmm. And, and it'll, be, it'll be a lot of fun to sort that out. Um, can you talk a little bit about uh, your involvement with the Open Science Grid? The, uh, open First, can you tell us what it is? It's exactly. Let's start with what is the Open Science Grid. The Open Science Grid is a consortium dedicated to the advancement of science, of all of open science via the practice of high-throughput computing and the advancement of the state-of-the-art of high-throughput computing. What does that mean? It's basically dedicated to all science that can use heavily distributed computing by virtue of encapsulating every single computational unit into something that can be run independently and can be rerun independently on a single node or device. And the, we created that entity. I was one of the uh, founders of this entity in 2005. 
Um, we created this entity by first creating a framework and a structure to deal with the sustainability, to have a unfunded consortium and consortium leadership in place that can govern itself via some kind of bylaws mechanism, and then guide that the funded part of the uh, consortium through ups and downs, changes in funding paradigms, changes in solicitations, and et cetera, et cetera, over the years. And we managed to make this work since 2005 continuously. Mm-hmm. And sort of sustainability has worked, even though there were periods in between where we had to cobble together the funding from seven, six, seven, eight different grants. And that's basically what OSG is. My role in it is I was the founding, and, uh, in fact, they put me in charge of the bylaws writing and the, I was the founding executive because I didn't want to be the executive. And so I was the uh, a common agreed on person because it was totally clear that I only wanted to use it as a scientist and I was going to get out of that position as quickly as possible. Right. And, uh, and that way I, I became part of it. And then I, for the longest time, I was responsible for um, sort of the spokesperson for applications that use it, spokesperson for the user community, mm-hmm. uh, um, and, and negotiate interfaces as with the CS end of the side and with the IT end of the side of the, of the organization. Um, and then I became again the executive in 2015. I am currently the executive director in charge of the day-to-day operations, basically. Mm-hmm. So I've got one final question for you. Uh, I come from Educause, which is more of a general higher ed IT organization. Is there anything you'd like folks to know about what you're doing uh, at SDSC um, that may be of interest to to those outside the data and computing field? As I described the biggest challenge earlier, some of that is non-technical. Some of the things that we need to do today is reduce the gap of opportunity that has, I used to call it the geek gap because I used to think that it was technical, that some people just didn't know how to do things and therefore there was this ever-growing geek gap developing and that made it difficult for uh, for some institutions to participate. In recent past, I've come around to looking at it as a much more of a social phenomenon and an opportunity gap phenomenon than a geek gap phenomenon. It's not that people don't know. People don't know because they don't have the resources to know. And so bridging the gap, democratizing access in order for us as a society to maximally benefit from the human capital that we have inherently because more people have access to make the most out of their lives and make choices, career choices that advance themselves broadly because they have access to broadband, they have access to computing, they have access to software. They can participate in the knowledge industry that is built on the technology industry. All of those kinds of things are places where I think Educause can play a role and help achieve the larger goal of creating open infrastructure, open science, open data, open software for an open society. And ultimately, in the interest of providing 
means such that everybody has the opportunity to make the most out of their lives. And uh, and that is, I think, something that goes well beyond just software and computing. It requires uh, um, social organizations. It requires uh, thinking about what are we willing to share, uh, thinking about what structures are we building. We have the opportunity to build this now because there's enough awareness that that gap has been growing and we need to put effort into shrinking it again for our own self-interest. That's a great note to end on. Thank you very much for your time, Frank. Thank you. Very much appreciate Pleasure talking with you. Frank Berthwein, director of the San Diego Supercomputer Center. I'm Jerry Bain for Educause. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.